Hi, this is Jerry Reynolds for Sacramento Electronic Supply, who has been servicing the Sacramento area's industrial electronic needs for over 75 years. Family owned and operated, Sacramento Electronics is a registered California small business that prides themselves on their customer service. Their showroom and warehouse are open to the public to browse. Whether you're looking for wire and cable, tools and testers, connectors or relays, Sacramento Electronics is open for you Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m., directly south of Costco in Rancho Cordova. Or, hey, visit them online 24-7 at www.sacelec.com and do it. Oh, another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Who? Jim Bob Foley? Holy moly. Oh. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, Writer for the Kings Herald, my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going on this Monday? Will, the Kings are 6-6. Six and six. Mike Brown is now the winningest coach in Sacramento Kings history since Rick Adelman, so I'm doing pretty good. I hope you're talking about win percentage and not total wins. Because otherwise... Winning percentage, <laughs> winning percentage. Okay. Also, maybe total wins, but... Yeah. <laughs> he's, a, uh, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst. General manager of a WABA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, true pride of French like himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it is an absolute pleasure to have you back on the show. How's it going today, Jerry? Pretty darn good. And great to be with you guys. Missed you a lot. Missed, uh, you know, uh, during my little COVID experience. But uh, or the King's Herald kept me going, you know, to <laughs> read all the great writers, people commenting. And so it's all good. But hey, I'm rare and ready to go. I got a lot of. I got a lot of thoughts today. Uh, that's right. We, we we've given you a month off, so now you're now you're ready to go full bore. We're we, we're getting playoff Jerry today. So we're now twelve games into the season, and boy, howdy, wouldn't you know it? Just like uh, Tony just said, Kings are sitting pretty at six and six, the ninth spot at the time of this recording, ahead of both the Lakers and Warriors, which I only uh, point out because they deserve a little smack talk right now from us Kings fans. Uh, Tony, Jerry, it's been a month plus since we spoke, and the Kings have gone five and two since the last episode where we had Greg on. Um, how are you all feeling about the Kings right now? Well, I, I you know, I speak for myself, but I really like this team. I, I did even early when they were getting beat some close games. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like the roster. I like the, you know, the direction the coach is putting them in. I'm, I mean, I thought a couple of things I didn't agree with so much early, but, but I mean, I think with, with Brown is smart guy, uh, really learning his team's then and still is to some degree but boy uh i really enjoy just i just enjoy watching them play and uh i can't you know i haven't said that a lot in the last 10 years and uh to be honest with you you know i thought uh, getting sabonis uh last year when he and fox were together for a while i i i really enjoyed it and i thought i could see the potential there and and i think we're starting to yeah, I think it's one of those things, Jerry, that in years past, we kind of went, well, if you can't be good, at least be entertaining. And the Kings struggled to be either. And uh, this year, they're doing a little bit of both. 
So t- Tony, what do you think? What do you, how do you feel about the Kings going right now after uh, going five and two since the last time we spoke? Yeah, they're they're six and two after the uh, the zero and four start. So it's hard not to feel pretty good about the basketball the Kings are playing right now. To me, it you know it's it's hard for me to top uh, among everything else that's going well with the Kings right now is how good De'Aaron Fox is playing consistently. Really, I think on both ends of the floor, he's he's kind of bringing it. And um, I don't know. We, we've all talked about how much the, the league is based on the stars that you have and the stars the Kings haven't had. And I'm still, you know, every kind of every night I'm doing the De'Aaron Fox, is he a star kind of meter? And right now he's certainly looking more like a star than he ever has before. And to me in, in the NBA right now, that's kind of everything for a team that's trying to break through. So the Kings are playing well. De'Aaron Fox is playing the best basketball of his career. I, I don't know. I couldn't be happier. It's a weird feeling, Will. Yeah, uh, Fox is currently on pace. I saw this today. He's currently on pace to be the first 25, 5-5 five and five guy for the Kings since Oscar Robertson. He's taking over in clutch minutes. He's scoring when he needs to, but not forcing it too much. He's distributing as much as he as he possibly can. Jerry, I'm curious, how do you feel about Fox's play lately and and uh, how he's got this team going? Well, he's he's been terrific. There's no doubt about it. He he is playing at at an all star level. His defense has uh, really stepped up big time. You know, we've seen him make uh, you know just a superior type defensive individual plays. Uh, the efforts there. Obviously, the shooting is there. The numbers back it up. Uh, you know, I mean, free throw percentage, you know, the way I look at it is, I mean, he's among the top four or five guards, certainly in the West, without any dispute, you know. And so, hey, at the end of it, uh, we all thought Fox could be an, an all-star level player, and he's certainly playing like that. He, it, there's absolutely no doubt about that. You just can't watch him and not be impressed and not just his numbers, but uh, when he's getting them, uh, you know, and I, I mean, I think he has become a closer and yep. uh, that, that is, uh, there's a lot, a lot of guys can get 20 a game, but they can't get them when they count. And uh, Fox is uh, showing, showing, I think most of us that he can do that. What's impressed you guys the most about him? Is it, is it the shooting numbers right now? I know he's shooting like uh, he's shooting 37 and a half percent from three. On, on five attempts, is it the defense? What what about you? Uh, what about Fox's play has you guys the most excited going into the the rest of the season? Well, for me, it. I mean, obviously, there's so many way, things he's improved, but his shooting, you know, threes, uh, twos, uh, free throws. Uh, I, I think you know, and I'd said this goes back a couple of years almost, and I said you know he's a guy that can get that that 12, 15 foot shot anytime he wants it. And if he'd do that more, he'd open up other stuff for him, get to the basket and, and the three-point shot. Of course, you got to learn to make it. Well, that's all happened. And in crunch time, you know, he's going to, uh, it seems to me like, go to where he knows he can get and take the easy shots, uh, playing under control. And, and I, I guess maybe the, if I had to say one thing impressed me the most is his defensive effort. I mean, yeah. he's putting out, putting out good effort. And he, he's doing, doing outstanding, you know, the only negative and there is, you know, with me, I'm, you know, being a cynical old turd. Uh, I mean, he, his assist turnover ratio is just not good enough. Yeah. He, he gets a little too uh, careless with the ball in traffic. And so, you know, if he cleans that up, he's as good as in guard in the, probably in the West, not named Doncic. you know? Yeah. Tony, what about you? 
Yeah, I was looking at Fox's numbers uh, prior to the podcast because I knew we would obviously be talking about him. And just the fact that he's uh, top 12, he's 12th in the NBA in scoring, and he has a higher field goal percentage than every other scorer in the top 20. So he is the most efficient volume scorer in the league right now. His finishing at the rim is insane. Um, His field goal percentage is so far beyond his prior career high that it's probably not going to sustain all year round. I don't want to, you know, jinx him right out of the gate, but he's playing beyond a level that we've ever seen him play before, just in terms of his finishing and his shooting from both three and from the paint. Um, So again, I guess, I guess you have to expect that to come down to earth a little bit, but for right now, uh, what he's doing as an efficient volume scorer is, is just, it's, that's obviously my favorite thing. I mean, the defense is is good too. The, the block he had against Steph Curry in the corner was just a defense. Uh, the other night was a de- level of defensive effort. We don't, don't, or hadn't seen from him often enough before this season. So that's great too. You know, you love the defensive effort, but just the, the efficiency that he is scoring uh, right now is, is pretty off the charts. Jerry, how much can you con- contribute a Fox's hot start to the season uh, um, on the coaching staff on Mike Brown and Luke Lux, who he's, he's mentioned before it's helped with the shooting this off season, but on like the scheming and uh, the, the positions that they're putting Fox in. Well, I think you have to give the coaches a lot of credit. I mean, uh, not just the head coach, but I, I know the general, the coaches worked with him individually during the summer. Uh, certainly, you know, we, we've got eyes and we see a better player and yeah. the shot looks better and it goes in better. So, I'm, you know, there's no use to make it very complicated. He's clearly a better shooter than he was. And, and then to Coach Brown's credit, I think he's able to utilize Fox better. And I was concerned early that, you know, they weren't going through uh, Sabonis enough. And, and now they are. And, and I think when the more Sabonis is involved in the offense, the better the offense gets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things too, just, just on, on Fox in general, last year, we kind of talked about it, how he looked checked out, how in, in post-game interviews and stuff like that, he was given one word answers. He was tuned out on the court. You know, we, we all kind of said he had to play better defensively. And in my opinion, at least it looked like the Kings had kind of chewed up another player and that, that if they weren't getting it right this, this, this season or next season, that they just spit him out, you know, that they'd done it like they'd done to uh, DeMarcus Cousins and some others. And it's one thing to me that just how engaged Fox looks, just just listening to him in the post games and stuff like that and how he's giving detailed answers and how he's constantly now he's on ESPN talking and uh, always hyping up guys like Mike Brown and and the ability for him to like, uh, I think, uh, specifically talking about how Mike Brown tells him like that they're pursuing perfection and how even though Fox has a really good game or Fox uh, against the Laker game, uh, I think it was that uh, that Mike Brown said like, oh, like. Fox, that was a good game from Fox, but that's a that's a game that Fox can have anytime he wants to. We want him to be better than that. And it is in a situation where Fox is being a, a, what a stereotypical star player would be in that, like, oh, he's tuning it out, but he's listening and he's he's reciting that stuff back to media and whatnot. And for whatever reason, that's something that has an impact on me because like, oh, this guy still not only wants to be here, but this guy's still looking to grow even five, six, seven years into his career. He's looking forward to like, I can be a lot better now. I give a lot of credit to Mike Brown on that one because last year, maybe it was, maybe it was Luke Walton. Maybe it was the whole franchise and the situation he was ready to go, but, but he was checked out and now he is tuned immediately back into this team and makes a huge difference for us. So uh, Jerry, you talked about Domas a little bit. Uh, how do you feel about him in general this season, the start in the first 12 games that he's been through this season? Well, he, he's the best big player the Kings have had since Chris Webber. 
you know, he he really is a a, a more a really a more talented version of Lottie Devots, really. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, he the guy he may be more valuable than Fox uh, when you really get down to it, because I mean, to have a guy that can get you know eighteen points a game on fifty five percent shooting and and rebound like he does and assist good assist turnover ratio he's totally unselfish i mean you know the you don't see that you just don't i mean you couldn't say that about weber for instance you couldn't you could say it but it wouldn't been true uh but but i mean this guy is i mean he is looking for teammates and stuff the scoring and and the rebounds and i think he's getting better so i'm a huge fan i i just thought and I think I've told you, you know, on this show that, you know, as much as I love Halliburton, I thought it was a, a, a genius move in a sense, because you can't draft guys like him. Yeah. You know, there aren't there. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you know, they had us, not that you had another player of the equal of Halliburton, but, but with the way Fox is playing and, and some of the additions, uh, it's easier to make up than it is for something you don't have or couldn't get. Tony, how do you feel like uh, Domas has been doing since last we spoke? Well, I think the the concerns early in the season was his foul trouble, and he's been able to kind of cut that back a little bit. He's still averaging the most fouls uh, per game of his career, I think, by a, a couple fouls or so. Um, so that's concerning because the Kings don't have a lot of size in the paint, and if you go up against teams that have good post players that Domas has to defend – uh, you see how much the Kings struggle when he's not on the court. So that's that's my concern is he's he's been such an offensive hub. He's so important to this team that when you're playing a team like the Warriors who have Draymond Green and Kevon Looney, they're not really post threats. Domas doesn't get in foul trouble. He plays most of the night. The Kings win. That's like a sneaky, decent matchup for the Kings. But when you start going up against these teams that have centers that that make things happen in the post and get the ball, um, that's, I guess, still my concern with Sabonis is he he carries a, a a lot of their the weight defensively, and uh, when he gets in foul trouble, this this team has looked pretty ugly at times. So, um, I, but that was always the concern with him. When he's on the court, he's going to be great. The Kings are going to be pretty good. Uh, it's about keeping him on the court for me. Jerry, how do you feel about uh, either of these two uh, Fox and Domas's uh, uh, All Star chances? Do you feel like uh, one has a gr- greater chance than another? Do you feel like they they could both make it? Is it kind of uh they still need to prove it or? Or where do you see that factoring in? Well, I, you know, so early, it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, with the, but I mean, if the team wins games, uh, you know, that's the key. And right now they're, they're starting to show that it could be the, a surprise team in the West, you know, kind of like a, a Utah or Portland. Yeah. I mean, not sure. saying that they've jumped out of there. So I guess my, my thought would be they're both playing at all-star level. Uh, and that's more important to me than where they make now it's not more important to them. I understand that. Sure. You know, as as especially De'Aaron, who's never made an all-star team, probably a lot less important to uh, Sabonis because Domas has done it a couple of times. So, uh, but I think they're playing at an all-star level, and so probably it it probably is easier for Domas just because he's a big. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, where there's not as many talented bigs, you know, uh, in the West, where you know when you look around the guard lines i mean you still have curry you have Doncic, you have a uh, shea gilgis alexander you've got lillard uh you you know you i mean you've just got so many 
guys out there. I mean, Devin Booker. I mean, the guys in several that are kind of gimmies. Uh, so, and then who knows, you know, about Edwards yet totally or Jamal Murray, whether he can get back to, yeah. to close to that. Uh, Clay Thompson, uh, you know, there's, there's guys that aren't there right now anywhere near the guys I just mentioned, but they could, some of them might emerge, that's for sure. Sure. Oh, I forgot John Moran. He's pretty good guard. Too. <laughs> He's okay. That was your MVP pick, I think, Jerry, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, I was like, wow, man, the brain cells are going fast, man. Someone in the car somewhere is like, man, Jerry's COVID fog, that brain fog that he's got, it's, just, it's really wearing him down today. <laughs> oh, yeah, COVID is just the least of my problems. <laughs> uh, so uh, the, the next player I want to talk about is Keegan Murray. Uh, the, the rookie, obviously, has been dealing with a family member in the hospital, He's had a dip in play and, and minutes there for a few games and uh, it's kind of seemed to, to pick it up of late. Um, how are we feeling about Keegan's play during these first 12 games, especially the, the last seven or so since last time we talked? Well, I mean, certainly he was pretty much invisible for a few games. Yep. And, uh, very, very disappointing play. Uh, I'd be the, I'm a Keegan Murray fan, but there wasn't any reason to be a fan of him for a few games. Yeah. And uh, But I think the last couple, you know, he got back on track and I, I just felt like he was just, you know, in effect, he was just going out there, running up and down the floor, waiting for an open shot, which he wasn't making. And I thought the last, you know, he's got to show some aggressiveness, which he, which he has. I mean, he can, he can create shots for himself and uh, shoot off the bounce. And so, yeah, he's a rookie. He's a rookie. And, and the guy is going to be good. He is going to be good because he, I mean, we, we've seen him getting better on defense, even though he's still not very good. No. But uh, uh, the biggest problem I've got, I don't worry about his shooting. He, he's, he's a shooter. You know, I mean, he's, uh, I kind of look at where he was, say, Tyrese Halliburton was his rookie year, early in his rookie year. You know, he had some walkabouts uh, games. People, <laughs> people forget that. Uh, you know, that's part of the process. But he's a, just like Tyrese, I mean, he, he's a shot maker. His ball looks good. I mean, his ball looks good all the time, and so that that that'll that'll play. That that'll play. He needs to rebound better. He's got to he's got to be more aggressive. His numbers, rebounding wise, in my mind, he would be a right at the moment minutes. You know, he'd be a poor rebounding small forward. So that needs to get better. Now, of course, it it helps that Sabonis gets enough rebounds for the whole front line but yeah. uh, but you can't but you can't expect that all the time either sure Tony what how do you feel about our star uh, our star rookie this year well the Kings are uh six and three since Keegan Murray entered the starting lineup I'll take those numbers for sure and um I don't know I, I don't think it's fair to expect him to be great every night anyways not to excuse the poor performances he did have but he is a rookie who has been on one of the most ridiculous post-draft hot streaks I've ever seen from being incredible in summer league to incredible in preseason. Um, and he had a bit of a little mini slump there to start the year. It's just too, it was kind of too, too few games for me to get overly concerned. And it was great to see him be instrumental in that Warriors win. He was, he was very good in that game, uh, made a couple of very big shots. So I continue to be very impressed with Keegan Murray. He 
the Kings have the luxury of not needing him to be great every single night, but if he can have these games where he's very good and hits important shots, um, that will be enough for them most of the season. And, you know, hopefully he gets better, like Jerry said, especially on non-scoring things like rebounding and defense as the season goes on, which is a fair expectation for him too. So, uh, yeah, there was a play in that Warriors game where he – came off a screen in the corner yeah. and hit this fading three at the top of the key going to his right. It was so beautiful that that just wiped away any concern that I might've had about any sort of slump. I was like, Oh man, did, did this guy just make that shot uh, like off the move against the warriors? What a great shot. So um, very high on Tegan Murray still. It's one of those things that he's, he's an impressive enough rookie that uh, yeah. during the Orlando game, he was slumping a little bit there and I couldn't help but like look over and be like, there must be something else going on. There must be something going on in his life that like, because he he's, he's had, he's had one of those runs, Tony, that you're talking about that like, summer league automatic preseason automatic. He was automatic a couple of, I mean, when he, whenever he catches the ball, I know it's going in. Now it, it doesn't half the time or a little more than half the time, but like, I know in my heart that that's a made bucket. So when he was really starting to clank some of them, I kind of went, oh, there's gotta be something else going on. Like it, it started to wear on me that like, this man, this man is a terminator. He's he's not missing that shot unless there's something else. And then when something came out about his family, I was immediately like, I knew it. I knew there was I knew there was some reason that this this perfect person <laughs> was suddenly imperfect. And for, you know, for for a 22 year old rookie, that's a, that's a that's a rare thing for a Kings fan. That's a rare thing to have a player that when they shoot, you know, it's going in most of the time. So uh, he's one of those guys that uh, I have no doubt about, especially on the offensive end for the next. 10, 15 years, he's going to, he's going to be pretty much automatic and it'll go in every single time. Uh, he'll shoot hundred percent one season. I have no doubt about <laughs> there it. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> I'll tell you, tell you one last thought on it. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think sometimes we don't think about it enough, but uh, just, just a reminder, uh, the league scouts teams and players. Yes. And, and, and I, I'm convinced that that was, a little bit of the issue as well. It's like, well, no, you don't get to stand over in a corner and get open shots. Uh, the scouts have noticed that if you leave him open for open shots, uh, he's going to hit a lot of them. Yeah. And so I, I think rightly so. I know if I were scouting the Kings, I would say, you know, don't leave him. Get up, get up into him. Make him uh, put the ball on the floor. Well, and I think that's what you're seeing teams do trying to do more defensively, which is an adjustment for him. And yeah. we saw him play off the dribble a little bit, which yeah. is what he's got to do. I used to say that about Tyrese uh, as a rookie. It's like, yeah, you can spot shoot, but you're going to have to be able to hit the floaters and play off the bounce. And, you know, about the middle of his rookie year, we, we started seeing that. And so that's, that's the process. This, this league, you know, we, most of these uh, – <laughs> scouts and coaches have some idea of what they're trying to do and uh, I guess really talented guys and so I, I think that's been a, a, a part of it I really do all right we're, we're going to move over to uh, at least in my opinion the surprise of the year for the Sacramento Kings and that's been a uh, Kevin Herter not necessarily that I didn't think he was a good player I just didn't know that Kevin Herter was one of the greatest shooters we've ever seen uh, playing easily the best basketball of his career. He's averaging over 16 points. He's shooting 51% from deep on over seven attempts per game. Guys talk to me a little bit about uh, the starting shooting guard for the Kings and how he's been doing uh, this season so far. Well, you know, I, I watched, I mean, I'm a, always been a fan of his cause I, and I watched the Hawks a lot because I like watching them uh, for, cause I like bogey and different and, 
friends involved with the franchise, but uh, but I am a little surprised. I, though the only area that surprised me, I knew he was a big time shooter and a player, a real player. Yeah. But I wasn't. I was not aware that he could get his own shot as well as he does, and 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 really shoot off the dribble quite as well. You know, I mean, certainly he did not have that opportunity much in Atlanta because uh, you know uh, Trey Young has the basketball, and he would do, <laughs> <laughs> it's his ball, and he would throw it to the herder and and these guys uh, to make open shots, and so so. Uh, so that, but that's the way it works. Sometimes you, you, you know, the, just because a guy doesn't do something doesn't mean he can't do something. I always say that we saw that last year with, with uh, McCollum in uh, New Orleans, you know, he spent his whole year playing, playing uh, Robin to Lillard's Batman and, uh, but he can run a team and we saw that. And so, and I think Herder's a little bit like that. And I, I'm, I'm not surprised that he proven to be a very good player, but he has proven to be a, a much better shooter and ability to get his shots than I thought. And, you know, the guy, uh, like I say, he, uh, he got a little, uh, he, he's got a little sneaky shitbird in him there too, you know, and I, you know, and that's, uh, I love that. I love that. I, I went to, I went to a game recently, Jerry, with my fiance, and that was something that she noticed. She's like, he's kind of cocky. He's kind of, he's kind of got that. He's kind of got that asshole streak to him. Yeah. We love it. No, don't worry about it, baby. It, it, it's that's that's a thing we like in in Sacramento, because uh, it, it, it's it's what every time he hits a three and he throws up that three hand, you know he's he's talking shit to somebody. And it that you're right, Jerry. It's a sneaky shitbird, but it's a shitbird nonetheless. Yeah. Oh yeah. You gotta have a little of it. Gotta have a little. <laughs> uh, Tony, how have you felt about uh, Kevin Herter's play uh, so far this season? I'm gonna tie him into. De'Aaron Fox's strong play a little bit because it finally seems like Fox has found a backcourt mate where both players can be at their best together, which is a, a huge win for Monty McNair because they've kind of failed at this. Um, Vlade failed at it, I guess, to some degree with Buddy and, and Bogey. He couldn't figure out how to get someone to optimize themselves next to Fox. Tyrese couldn't really do it. Um, Davion Mitchell hasn't really had a huge opportunity to try, but that hasn't worked out either. But really this pairing with Herder, um, just being able to hit shots from very, very deep in people's faces is, is what do you know, like pretty helpful next to a guy like De'Aaron Fox. He doesn't command the ball a lot, but has a huge impact every time he does have it. Um, also kind of like Fox not to rain on the parade. He's probably not going to shoot 51% from three all year. So those numbers might come down a little bit, but I also am reminded of a question that we had before the year from um, a reader who uh, kind of asked us, it might've been on the Patreon show. Maybe it was on this show. If Kevin Herter has like this untapped potential in him, yeah. could he actually kind of sneaky be a, a third star for this team? And I think we entertained the idea because he is, you know, he's 24 years old coming into this year. So why should we think that this player is, is kind of done developing and improving? Um, so th that question kind of rings pretty true through the first uh, games of the season for the Kings. Cause Herter has been, like you said, well, if not, I mean, definitely the third best player, I, I would say, um, just consistently great at hitting very timely shots. I don't know how many of these games the Kings win without him. Uh, he seems like he's always there in a big moment to make a contribution. And I even think his, his defense has been very good um, getting in passing lanes and coming up with deflections and, and steals. So uh, I don't know for Monty McNair's that might be Monty McNair's best 
well, it's hard to top the Sabonis move right now, but that trade for, for Kevin Herter was a very, very strong move by Monty McNair. At least it looks that way that so far. You know, and one last point I'd make on the uh, on Herter, he and Sabonis are terrific together. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can already see it. I mean, because Herter is used to playing without the ball and uh, is great moving without the ball and getting open spots. And, and uh, I mean, so you, you see a, a, a real efficient two-man game with those guys already and even without the ball you know Sabonis sets such good screens that you've been able to see Kevin Herter wrap his player around Sabonis and Sabonis is a brick wall and suddenly Kevin Herter is open and and hitting a three-pointer that if if that had been Chemezi Metu or or Rashawn Holmes they're not setting those screens quite as well or they're trying to slip those screens to go for an for for a cut and Kevin Herter is going to take that shot a little bit more contested where here, sometimes he gets shots that are open based solely off of Domas just absolutely slapping somebody with a good screen. And it, 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 it's getting to the point where it doesn't shock me anymore that Kevin Herter is open. It's just like, oh, if, if he's open, Domas set a screen somewhere for him that, that got him that way. Yeah, and good screen setters are rare. Yes. I mean, really. I mean, it's a, and that's there again, Sabonis is so skilled. And, you know, of course, he's not worried about somebody hurting him because he knows he's probably going to hurt them. And when he sets screen, so that's a that's a plus. But, uh, yeah, uh, just another and, and he'll gladly set them there again. I mean, I can tell you a lot of a lot of guys don't like setting screens because they get hit. Yeah. And then, you know, and I think he he, he must try to set 100 a game. And that's yeah. uh, I mean, that's very rare, very rare. Okay, the next guy I want to hear from, this guy is, uh, he hasn't exactly had the, the season that we'd hoped or even uh, that he, he, we know he's capable of playing. Uh, Harrison Barnes, he's had an incredibly up and down start to the season this year. Um, he's, he's gone from, from being invisible to scoring 20 points a game and having big games and then going right back down to where he's scoring 13 and nine. Guys, what's going on with Harrison Barnes? Well, here's my thought, and you guys will say, well, you don't know squat. But here's my thought, is I think part of the problem is not a problem, actually. It's Harrison trying to figure out uh, that he is now the fifth man of a five-man starting five, which is where he should be. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's not about his him uh, ego or anything else, but really, since he's been with the Kings, he's had – a much bigger role, and now he, he's adjusting the fact that he really doesn't have much of a role. And, and, and really, the Kings fans, I think, we all need to understand that, that no, he's pretty low in the pecking order. So don't expect the same numbers because there's no reason they would be there. Uh, and I think we've seen the last three or four games where it seems like he's kind of getting it, like the last night's game against the Warriors. Well, his numbers weren't impressive but he played a good game yeah. you know he he played a good game he was kind of the fifth guy on the starting five well that's what he needs to be sure. you know that's what he needs to be and 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 i think he'll sort it out pretty good you know to where he okay he maybe he's going to be a, a 10 or 11 12 point score and uh well that that's the way it works you can't you can't have it both ways <laughs> and I and I think you know as we've been expecting, well, we got to find somebody. You know, Harrison's been the second or third best player. We got he can't be good if if he's the second or third best player. <laughs> well, he's not now. Damn it! So <laughs> move on. 
<laughs> and let let him let him adjust and don't be judging him by stats the same way. Jerry, this is not a point where I get to tell you now that you don't know ball. You 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 okay. preface this by saying that we might have to tell you that, but I don't get to tell you. That. Okay, okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> It'll come. It'll come. Uh, Tony, uh, Mike Mike Brown mentioned that uh, that he's got a secret uh, defensive uh, recipe where he throws a bunch of stats into a, a mumbo jumbo <laughs> machine and out pops a number, and he gets to rank players based on that. He had it in Golden State uh, uh, the first month of the season. He said that Malik Monk was number one in this special defensive stat, and that Harrison Barnes was number two in that defensive stat. Um, do you have a, a secret uh, formula to Harrison Barnes success? And if so, could you tell us what it is? I am not going to claim that I know more about defense than Mike Brown. I certainly don't. I, I don't think Harrison Barnes has been great defensively this year, but that's just me. I don't know. I, I've seen the Kings have, the Kings are not a very good defensive team. Still their offense has just been so incredible and they can turn it on defensively. Like they have, they have enough interesting pesky, especially perimeter defenders where they can, they can make it hard on teams at times, but this is not a great defensive team. And I don't think Harrison Barnes has really helped a ton in that regard. And, but to Jerry's point, I don't need Barnes to score 16 points a game. Um, the points that he does score, I'd like them to be, more efficient than they have been. Obviously his shooting has been the most disappointing because even if he's not getting as many shots as he used to be, just his accuracy from three is, is way down. And I, it's one of those things that I, I kind of agree with the fans who have been calling Harrison Barnes out, I suppose for his, his rough season, he hasn't been very good to me, but it's also something that I'm just not that worried about. Cause I, I do think he can return to that baseline of being a pretty efficient scorer a okay defender and just being okay with 10 to 12 points per game. You don't need 16 from him anymore. So I'm, I'm oddly okay with, with where he's going to eventually be at, even if I'm not super thrilled with how he's performed so far this season, I do think he'll, he'll be the player the Kings need him to be, which really is only the fifth starter. So the, the, the pressure or threshold there is not super high for him to reach. And he's very capable of doing that. Yeah, I will say to your and Jerry's point that last year they they started Mo Harkless enough games for me that <laughs> right. like like Harrison Barnes is a is a grand improvement over that. That right. I go, okay, we'll give him some more time because we don't need <laughs> you know if he can play like a guy who's the three and a half best player on the team or the fourth best player on the team and he happens to be the fifth best starter, that's a plus for us. He's he's not Mo Harkless in any situation. Sorry, Omer, if 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 this hurts your feelings. But um, but it is one of those things that, Jerry, we have expected so much out of Harrison Barnes these last couple of years. This is just the guy he is now, just a 10-point-a-game, a uh, clutch rebounding, a good three every now and again type of guy. But, I, I mean, I think he's going to have some big games. I mean, it's, you know, he's, I wouldn't be surprised he doesn't have a, some 20-point games uh, pretty soon. I mean, that'll happen. I, I'm I like Tony. I'm – I, I think he's a good player who is, is trying to get comfortable in his niche. And, and I mean, it's, it's a different niche. And so it does take time. Now it doesn't explain shooting 20% from three or less, uh, but history tells us that he'll make more of them as we go. And I believe that just as much as I hope I'm wrong. And I'd like to believe that, that the Aaron's going to shoot 40% from three and Herder's going to shoot 50 and, and all that. But uh, the history tells us those things uh, tend to go a little different direction, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not worried about him. I mean, I, I think to me, it's like, he's got to get a little better. I think he will. 
And in the point and the fact that, that he is no longer being counted on to put up big numbers is a real reason why this team has a chance to be significantly better. Okay, I want to roll over to the bench here, and we'll, we'll, we'll start with one, one more bummer, and then we'll get into all the celebrating. We'll, we'll end that on, on a high note here. Um, Davion Mitchell has been, in my opinion, a bit of a, a bit of a disappointment this year. I think he's still trying to figure it out. But I, I'm curious to what you guys see, whether or not it's an issue at all, or what you see as the issue with Davion Mitchell coming into 12 games this season, averaging less than seven points, you know, uh, less than half a steal a game, shooting 35% from three and 45% from the field. What's going on with Davion Mitchell? And is this a Mike Brown thing or is this a Davion Mitchell thing? Oh, I think it's a Davion Mitchell thing. I mean, I think with Davion, I've always said, and I believe this, that the more minutes he gets, the better he'd play. But it's also true. It's hard. uh, Malik Monk and and I think uh, Davis are probably uh, playing better. Yeah. And so how many minutes are there, you know, Herder Fox? I mean, there's not that many. If I'm Mike Brown, I'm just not going to go. I can't feel comfortable giving him 30 minutes to get a little better production out of him. Now, I, I guess I, I, and I certainly know I could be wrong. I mean, at, as the year goes, my suspicion is injuries happen and he plays a lot more minutes. And when he does, I think he'll, he'll uh, play better because I think that's his game. You know, he's a pest. He got to wear people down. He's got to, you know, be out there on the court to to kind of get a comfort level on offense because he's not by nature a really good offensive player. And uh, you know, I think so. I think that's it. Uh, you know, is it something? Should he should he be better than he's been? Yes, yes, he should. But he also had a great game. One game where yeah. when Fox was out, where he was terrific. And I think that. To me, it kind of makes my point uh, yeah. uh, is that you, you know, if Davion knows he's going to be a 35 minute guy, I think, I think he, he'd be very productive or reasonably productive. But, but I also understand uh, the situation now. And some guys, it's just tough for them to go play five minutes here and seven minutes there and be productive. That's, that's a lot harder than being a starter. Tony, uh, Jerry mentioned that Charlotte game where he shot nine of 11 and scored 23 points. Um, which version of Davion Mitchell are we, uh, are we expecting here moving forward? And uh, what do you see as the, the, the issue with him going uh, these first 12 games this season? This might be surprising. I don't think Davion has really been that bad. Um, I, I think a couple things are happening. I think the, the major thing with him is exactly what Jerry said to me. I mean, his nickname is off night and i don't think that's necessarily like a i think that's kind of his mentality as a player like he wants to take his matchup play it 35 minutes make the star on the other team look bad score his 17 points and and really be an asshole to the guy that he's guarding like that's that's him as a player and it's hard to do that off the bench when you're playing 18 minutes a night now i don't blame mike brown for doing that but i also look at some of his shooting numbers, which are better than they were that last year, 35% from three for what is now like a defensive defensive specialist at point guard is, is pretty good. His field goal percentage is also up over last year. The other thing that's kind of happened accidentally is I'm not even sure he's the backup point guard anymore because now Malik Monk is doing so much ball handling offensively off the bench. Um, Malik Monk is uh, a career high in assists for him right now. And I think it's by like two assists a game. Like he's so far beyond his career high in assists and that's credit to Malik Monk, but Monk is doing so much of the ball handling that now 
Mitchell's limited 18 minute per game role is now sort of like an off ball player on offense where his opportunities really aren't there. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say Davion Mitchell has been great. Obviously, I just don't think he's been that bad. And I think he's uh, among everyone else in the rotation. I think he's he has the toughest role to excel in for what he is good at. And that is shutting down opposing teams best guard offensive player and he just rarely has minutes in a game where he's able to showcase that and his offensive opportunities are limited even more limited now that Malik Monk is is doing so much of the creating so um I I don't know what the ultimate solution is here for Davion Mitchell but I I don't know I wouldn't say he's been bad he's just been uh kind of stuck in in a role that is maybe not not best for him to show how good he can be um, and maybe that's a cop out. Maybe he's he's never going to be that guy, or he's never going to be that good. I just think he has the toughest fit uh, among really anyone else in the rotation in, in figuring out how to how to excel in in this new role for him under Mike Brown. You know that was a great great point though, that Tony made uh, about Malik Monk. I, I didn't see that coming. You know, I mean, I, I thought truly if you know he's an off the ball shooter you know, uh, move well out the ball and catch, shoot and all that. I didn't realize he had the ability to make, make as many plays as he has. And, and his aggressiveness has been a real breath of fresh air. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's very true. I mean, and of course, I, I, I don't think, you know, one last thing on Davion, I've never thought he's a true playmaker. He, he, he'll guard him. He'll guard him, <laughs> you know, but uh you know that's what he is. He's a, he's a defender of playmakers, but uh, that that isn't you know. So he can you know play with a monk, with a herder, with a fox. Uh, you know, and, and you've got kind of all these guys. None are pure playmakers. The pure playmaker on this team, I want to make this so clear, is <laughs> the Domas Sabonis. Okay. That's who the playmaker is. Jerry, I'm curious. We can we can slide over to Malik Monk now. Uh, one, are you going to be rocking a Band-Aid to the arena anytime this season? And, and two, how, where do you feel like the uh, the upper crust of Malik Monk's play is this season? He scored in double digits uh, seven of the 12 games this season. And sometimes we're, we're not talking 11 or 12 points. We're talking 24 points, 19 points. You know, he, he's, he's scoring, but able to distribute the ball in a way that Tony mentioned didn't seem possible for a guy coming into the season that we hadn't really seen that before from Malik Monk. How do you feel about Malik Monk's play so far this season? Just, just by himself without Davion being a factor in it. Well, he's, you know, he's a little better player than I thought he was. And, you know, you guys know from us talking last year, I was in favor of getting him real early. I thought he was a guy that they should target. Uh, But, but he's a little better player that I think than I expected because of his ability and uh, to make plays uh, defensively he's a tough he's got a little tough toughness in him and really and and he is as tony pointed out i mean i think with with uh, the the limited minutes for davion i mean if i gotta choose between davion and and uh, malik monk right now i'm gonna play monk more because he's playing better and he may be better but so so sometimes it's not somebody else's fault <laughs> or a player's fault he's not playing it's the other guy just playing better or fits a, the situation better and i and i think that's kind of the way with terrence da- or davis uh you know he's playing pretty good but monk's better and so 
so there you go. And the coach has got a, he's got a coach who he thinks is the best guy out to put the best team out. And I think that's exactly what he's doing. I think in years past, we were kind of of the mindset that like, Oh, you know, what the hell the Kings have only won 22 games and we're past the all-star break play Davion more minutes, see if you can develop him. And now you have a coach whose mindset is no, we're going to, I'm here to coach playoff games. And it's like, okay, well, we don't have time to develop Davion Mitchell right now. He can go develop on the bench somewhere or in practice. We got games to win. And Malik Monk is the one who's putting us in a better position to win. He's the guy getting the minutes. And that's such a strange feeling. I feel like a lot of Kings fans are still adjusting to that. I'm me, myself included in that. I'm kind of like, come on, put Davion in. And I go, no, wait, hold on a second. We're winning. So let's, let's see what Monk, let's see another outstanding pass from Malik Monk to, to Domas. And we'll, we'll, we'll just keep this on the side. I think too, as fans, we, you know, we see things different today than we, we would have years ago, but I mean, some of the best point guards in history didn't play hardly at all the first two, one or two years in the league. And so can Davion develop without being given minutes? Of course he can. And I, my guess is that's what he'll do. That's what he did in college. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's uh, that, I think that's his nature. He's going to put the time in, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, the the old deal. Well, we, you know, you got to uh, trot these guys out there and play them 30 minutes when they really haven't earned it, I, sure. I think has more diminishing returns to it than there is positives. Uh, and so, hey, David, Davion, when he gets minutes, he knows uh, they're very important and they're going to be hard to get because he's uh, he's uh, taking minutes from better players now. Yeah. Tony, how do you feel about about Monk? Uh, Malik Monk has a certain, and I, I am not a huge fan of this player, so I feel bad even making this comparison, <laughs> but there is an Iman Shumperty quality to what happens when Malik Monk is on the court. He brings a certain energy. Um, he's flying all over the place. He's falling into the stands. The fans are pushing him back out onto the court. He's flopping around. He's making crazy passes, some wild finishes. Him and Fox obviously have this, uh, energetic, chemistry where they push the ball when he's on the floor too so um even though monk's numbers are not great efficiency wise he has not been shooting the ball well hopefully all of that improves but the passing has been a, a revelation and the energy that he brings to the game off the bench is exactly what you want off of your lead bench player so um to tie it back to davion mitchell it's hard to see mitchell ever really jumping any of those top three guards at least which is um fox herder and monk in the rotation and then I, th I think where this is going is us fielding a lot of Davion Mitchell trade questions or rumors about how the Kings can improve their team heading into the deadline if this Kings team continues to be pretty good because I don't know when the minutes are going to open up for Mitchell. Of course, he can earn them, but those three players are, are very good and they fit their roles very well. And if this team is going to add anything, he is an asset. So I, I don't want to get too far down that road yet, but... It does kind of feel like we're, we're kind of getting there. Uh, and if, if McNair is willing to trade Halliburton, um, he's obviously willing to trade Mitchell as well. So I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Jerry, you just, or, or I'm sorry, uh, Tony, you, you just opened us up to a ton, a ton of questions over the next six months. I know somebody's going to hear this and go, I'm going to ask them every time, what, what can we get for Davion Mitchell? And I'll blame you for it when we have to answer those questions. Well, that's not even a knock. I love Davion Mitchell. I'm not even like, it's, it's not a trade because they, they should trade him. It's more of a trade of, I don't know when this fit is ever going to make sense uh, for him here. Herder's locked up long-term. Fox is obviously 
turning into the guy monk is off the bench so i don't know where mitchell fits in i just it's it's a more of a circumstance than anything else i think he reminds me a little bit of uh of the way like kyle lowry was back in the day where he didn't really have a chance and and then mm-hmm. he, a one, one trade happens and all of a sudden he's a he's an all-star player and uh he just needed that 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 switch off i i'm not i'm not gonna say he's quite there yet but uh, jerry to your point he can develop into one of those players he just might have to do it in practice rather than uh, getting that time out on the court and showing it there. Yeah. And, and you, you made a great point. I mean, I, I've kind of compared him to Kyle Lowry, uh, you know, and I'm old enough to remember Kyle Lowry in college and Kyle Lowry is a rookie at Memphis. And then, and then, you know, they were kind of became convinced that he wasn't a guy and they drafted Mike Conley. Well, the truth of the matter is, as years went on, Conley's excellent player, but Lowry was better. Mm-hmm. And in his prime. And so, uh, yeah, that's the way it works. And, uh, you know, uh, can, can, can Davion get to that level? Uh, maybe not here, sure. you know, maybe not in Sacramento. Uh, and, and so if, if in fact you can improve your team going forward, of course you do that. Uh, you, you, you know, go back to the George Carl era. Yeah, you could, you know, and he was right then and then he'd be right now. Everybody's yeah. tradable. Yeah. You know, if you think you can, you know, I always said it would, Will Chamberlain's trade tradable. <laughs> yeah, Davion Mitchell's tradable. <laughs> um, okay, so we got a couple of the bench players I want to get to, but I'll probably just pass them by you and anything you guys want to talk about, I'll let you guys talk about them. Uh, specifically, uh, the act of Chemezi Metu and Trey Lyles now kind of jumping over Rashawn Holmes for minutes is kind of a big one. And then also Jerry, because we didn't get a chance to talk about him last time, uh, Casey Okpala going from a starter to a, a DNP candidate every night. I'm curious about uh, about specifically about Holmes and Metu starting over him and also if you had any opinions on how Casey went from starter to nothing in a few games flat. Well, I, I mean, I certainly didn't see a reason to start KZ. I mean, they, you know, I think he can play defense. And I think if Coach Brown, uh, you know, there may be a spot for him and it's, you know, for a minute or two on a special guy, sure. that sort of thing. But that's what he is. He's a, he's a specialist. And, uh, and that's my mind. Uh, you know, people could see a different, but I don't see a starting player there. Uh, but as far as, uh, you know, met to it's really interesting because I mean, I, there again, I think coach Brown's done a really good job in, in, in doing that. I think that's probably the best spot for him as a backup five. It kind of keeps him from shooting as many threes <laughs> and, uh, and he, he's, he's small, but he's so athletic. He can make up in today's game. You, you know, 30 years ago, you, you wouldn't have thought of a guy like that playing there, but, but it's different now. And, and most of the other teams, you know, you don't play Joel Embiid every night. Uh, and it really doesn't make any difference. If you had a big guy, it wouldn't make any difference because he you couldn't guard him with anybody. So so there's that. But but I, I like that. And I like Trey Lyles. Uh, you know, Trey, some nights he gives you quite a bit, some nights yeah. overall, but he no. doesn't hurt you. Usually he comes in and plays it, you know, stays in his lane. If he can get some good shots, he'll take them. Uh Try to rebound, not very good defensively, but but uh, you know we'll, we'll try, and so I, I like that. And you know the Holmes thing, and I said I think on another podcast that I do is is that 
if you're going to play Holmes, and I think you could on this team, but you got to be different. You know, in other words, if he was going to come in behind uh, Domas, then, you know, play a, high, a lot of high screen roles with him, you know, probably, you know, whether it's with Fox or Herter or, or Davion, whoever, sure. uh, you know, and use him that way because that's, but he is not the guy you want to throw the ball to right. and play off of, you know? So, and I think you could do that. I mean, I, I don't say that coach Brown should do that. I'm just saying you could do that to get, to have some level of effectiveness from him. But if you're not going to do that, you're way better off with Metu. Just come in and, 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 and use those, you know, cause you don't really want anybody to play very much behind uh, Sabonis. So that's my thought there. I, I think overall coaching decision seems to be the right decisions. Yeah. Tony, what about you? What do you feel about all this, uh, the bench play? I'm, I'm kind of shocked that Metu at center is working, but as long as it's working, I guess, keep riding with it. I do think just because we, we spent a little time talking about trades, this does feel like a position that Kings might look to upgrade if it becomes a problem again and they need to figure out something um, I'm sure Holmes will get another shot in the rotation before he is possibly likely maybe dealt at the deadline as well. Um, and who knows, maybe he'll, he'll be better in, in another, after some games off the bench, another, uh, another go of it. But um, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I saw Metu, I think it was in the Warriors game. He actually made an extra pass and I didn't know that he could do that. So I was like, oh man, <laughs> Metu might be learning a little bit. So I don't know, as long as he's not taking threes, although he did take a couple the other night, um, he's more playable. I'm still, that's still a, a position of concern for me as backup center uh, behind Sabonis, especially if he's going to get into foul trouble in any of these bigger games where, man, I, I think I'd rather have some better options behind him. But um, so far the Metu experience at backup center is working okay. Yeah, this almost feels like uh, uh, not not that I'm trying to predict what Monty McNair is thinking, but this feels like a Metu is kind of the holding spot until Nemius Kata is ready, only because like you know if he's going to be ready, it might take another year or so. But like he's a big guy who blocks shots and is a, a decent passer that he can operate not not like Domas, not to that level, but that he has he has an eye for passing that he he might be a guy that you could be run similarly without. Because I I, it, it, I get a little quizzical about, okay, why not, Jerry? T- maybe you can answer this. Why not just have Rashawn Holmes go up there and set some screens and go crashing to the basket? Like, why not? Okay, guys, when Rashawn's in, we're not we're not running it, uh, you know uh, off of him. Go, Rashawn, go up there to the three-point line and, and hit somebody with a screen and then go crash for, for an alley-oop. What, what's the purpose behind uh, Mike Brown's preference to not do that and instead just you know, is it, is it trying to fit in a complicated system and like, okay, we can only do one thing right now and that's operate this way. Or is it just, Hey, Rashawn had his chance. He couldn't do it the way I want him to do it. And so he's sitting on the bench for a while. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. And I, I really couldn't answer it. I mean, only Mike Brown could answer that, but I, I do think, you know, I've seen teams and been a part of things where you, you would play differently yeah. once you went to the bench. I mean, that was kind of part of it. Uh, you didn't want to do it much. But, I mean, the Kings did not play the same way with Scott Pollard behind Vlade Divac as they played with Vlade. Well, you couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he was a low post guy. And uh, so you, 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 well, you run some stuff that way. And I always, you know, kind of remember, I always thought Larry Brown, one of the great coaches in, in history, uh, when he had Corliss Williamson and 
in, in Detroit. You know, and he's won a championship and Corliss was sixth man of the year. Well, Corliss didn't play a lot, but he'd play 15, 18 minutes and they'd go to him. And I mean, they went to him. Yeah. I mean, he'd get 15 shots in 18 minutes. And, and that was the deal. Corliss is in there. Reserves are, are, are some key guys are out. We're riding this horse for points. Sure. And then, you know, but, but he didn't want to disrupt his starting unit and they played, you know, and they played different. So I, I just thought, yeah, that's, you know, there's a lot of creative ways of doing things. And, and I, I, but I, I wouldn't second guess uh, coach Brown yet. Yeah. I mean, he's still trying to sort it out and maybe, you know, if, if he feels that, Hey, we can play with Matt to the 10 or 15, 12 minutes and not really change much right now, that's better for us. I, I couldn't argue that. Is there, is there any other moves, guys, that you've seen from uh, Mike Brown and the coaching staff? Anything that the coaching staff in general has done that we haven't talked about that you, you're encouraged by so far, uh, these 12 games into the season? Well, I sure like the fact he's taken guys out and talked to them. Yeah. You sure. know, it's a really strange thing that a head coach actually will talk to players. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, it's like, yeah, that, that's who they want to hear from if, if he's happy, unhappy. Uh, has something to say. Uh, yeah, I, I like, uh, I, I find no no fault with what's going on personally. I mean, uh, you know, having said that, I mean, I'm like most fans. I, I would like to see him be better on defense, though. Yeah. I mean, I think the effort's there, but yeah. but it's, and it's one of the reasons they're winning games, the effort's there down stretches of games. And, uh, you know, and, and that, that, we haven't always saw that. There was there was a moment in the Cavaliers game um, where um, Kevin Love caught a swing pass and Darren Fox rotated onto him and then kind of like bumped him in, into a foul. Kevin got two free throws off of it, and it it we were sitting. Uh, I was there at that game and we were sitting kind of close to the Kings bench, and I couldn't believe how animated uh, Mike Brown got towards the Aaron Fox. Going, oh, he is he's pissed. He's not happy about it, and it was one of those things that surprised me, Jerry. To your point, that he is pulling people aside and talking to them or you heard Terrence Davis talk about it I think in preseason where he said he missed the rotation on something and somebody got a backdoor layup and they called a timeout immediately or pulled him from the game immediately and so to your point yeah I think that is a surprise that he is talking to his players in a way that like he's treating them like no you need to be a lot better not just a little bit better but he's not a Luke Waltoning you know leaning back in his chair not 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 caring about anything in the world on a missed rotation like that. You know, I have seen him, at least I think I've seen him take guys out for missed defensive. Uh, you know, Terrence Davis, I know, uh, 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 yeah. Keegan yeah. Murray. Uh, I remember kind of – so there's been times when you saw something, a real screw-up, and, and they, they came out of the game. Matt, too, I remember. So, you know, that's, that's yeah. new ground here. That's new ground yeah. in the last – 20 15 to 20 years i'm just telling you <laughs> so so it's uh oh i just i just get giddy i just got giddy it's a it. shock to the system <laughs> oh good tony how are you feeling uh one nice thing about mike brown then i have one small criticism that everyone can yell at me for nitpicking but Ooh, I can't wait. uh the good thing i guess you can call it a good thing he's been taking consistently incredibly early timeouts anytime a quarter gets off to the wrong start. It could be third quarter, second quarter, even in the first quarter, 30 seconds in, he doesn't like a defensive play. He's calling a timeout and he's going over it. I think a team like the Kings needs that 
incredible, incredibly hands-on approach to defensive issues. And he's been very consistent about that. Even um, again, in the Warriors game the other night, I think it was the beginning of the fourth quarter, maybe like 25 seconds in, it was an immediate timeout because he didn't like a rotation. Um, so I like that he's keeping them accountable like that. If I can make one nitpicky tiny complaint, and this is maybe just me being greedy. There have been times out of a timeout late in games where Fox and Sabonis are still on the bench. And I just want those guys in there a little bit earlier. And it, I've noticed it a few times. And again, what do I know? The guys need a break. I'm I'm probably, if I if I was to be a coach at some point, I would ride the good players for way more minutes than they should probably be playing. But that's my one thing. There'll be like four minutes left out of a timeout. And I'm like, man, why is Fox still on the bench? Just put him in. Just put him in. Um, so there's been a couple moments like that. Or even with Sabonis being in foul trouble, I understand why Mike Brand doesn't want to put him in too early. But my mindset is always like, well, it, I'd rather put him in early and have him foul out then have the game kind of get lost while I'm waiting for the exact right moment to put some of these guys in. So that's my break, my Mike Brown take after a handful of games. Well, Tony Thibodeau, uh, I'm glad you're not coaching the Kings right now. <laughs> yeah, very much. <laughs> Jimmy Butler's playing. Four uh, uh, last thing, uh, Jerry, I don't know if you heard uh, the new nickname that was coined by uh, Kevin Herter today. And I just want your opinion on it real quick. Uh, they're call- He's calling them the beam team. The beam team. Have you seen the purple, the purple laser beam that goes I up have. every time the Kings? I, I so have. He, he, I have. So he, he is calling them the beam team. If Kevin Herter wants to be part of the beam team, I'm on board. Okay. Beam me up. Scotty. <laughs> hey, speaking of uh, bright spots in Sacramento, let's, uh, let's go to a quick commercial break for uh, uh, Sacramento electronic supply. Sacramento Electric Supply now has stock on new and exciting Klein Tools products. From the Power Hub 1 to the KTB-500 portable power station, Sacramento Electronics has all your job site power needs. Stop by their location directly south of Costco in Rancho Cordova, Monday through Friday, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Or visit them online 24-7 at www.sacelect.com. Okay, we are back and uh we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up here today. We're gonna uh we're gonna go right into the uh the uh, the Patreon question of the day. Uh Tony, what do you have for us today? Thanks, Will. Um, on every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our Kings Herald patrons. You can sign up at patreon.com slash Kings Herald. We ask one question on the podcast here and any leftover questions that uh, you guys submit gets asked on a once a month Patreon exclusive Q&A where we just ask Jerry all the most absurd questions that kind of get left out of this group. Um, the question this week comes from Kings Stan 916 that I thought is kind of an interesting discussion, especially coming off of our, our conversation about Mike Brown, but Yes. What are Jerry's thoughts now looking back on the Kings coaching search? How would he rate Mike Brown, Will Hardy, Darvin Ham, Steve Clifford, etc.? Did the Kings pick the right one out of that group? Well, I think uh, I would say yes, uh, based on what we're watching. I would say yes. And that don't mean that as a slap at any of the other guys. Obviously, Will Hardy yeah. at Utah. I mean, and, and Darvin Ham, I, I don't I liked him and I still do. I don't know what you're going to do there. I mean, you know, Red Auerbach come out of the grave to try to coach those guys. I don't know. Uh, but uh, so, 
So I, I think they've been, there were some good choices. Steve Clifford's, you know, that, that Hornet team has been decimated by injuries. So uh, that's, that's, the guy's a good coach. Uh, but, but to short thing, hey, Mike Brown has been terrific. He's been as advertised. Uh, this team has made progress. They're, fu they're fun to watch. I know I say that a lot. And as Tony pointed out, it's like, well, that, that's a, it is a start. You know, you want to be a really good team, but, but my goodness, uh, there's nothing. I'd always said that was the way I looked at it with the Monarchs when I ran those. I said, the first thing we're going to do is at least be fun to watch, for God's sakes. Get some people in here that are fun. And then we can worry about building on that and getting good. <laughs> and I think that's, uh, you know, uh, this is a fun team that, that is on the way to trying to be good. And, uh, you know, like I say, there are a few little, I'm like, Tony, I've got a, a nitpick here and there, but overall, my goodness, I, I, I think uh, the coaching hire is one of the best things that's been done here in the last few years. Will, um, amongst those candidates, are you still happy with the pick McNair made? Oh yeah, I think I think uh, I think in the off season I called it like a B minus move, and saying that we we kind of needed to hit home runs and we were hitting a doubles and triples instead. And the more and more the season goes on, the more and more I've seen from Mike Brown, the more and more I realize like oh that was probably close to turn a move. Like I'm I'm I need probably more than twelve games, but I'm ready in my soul to bump that up a little bit. Yeah. Um, one of the things I kind of discounted, which which I probably shouldn't have is his ability to hire other coaches as well. And Jordy Fernandez seems to have been a big part of this team. Um, you hear um, um, De'Aaron Fox and his wife, Rase, uh, they they praise Luke Lux at every every chance they get about his shooting and stuff like that. They they pin that on on Luke. And so the ability for Mike Brown to hire a staff was one of, the th one of those things that, like, is an underrated part of what Mike Brown's been able to do and what, what Monty McNair and company have been able to do. So – I think that he was the right choice. I mean, through the all too soon 12 games, but it is one of those things that like Will Hardy is probably the worst choice for the Utah jazz right now, only because they're winning games when they really, really, really want to lose games. It seemed like they were doing everything outside of shooting their players in the legs. They were, they want Victor Webb just as bad as anyone else. I'm, I'm positive of it. And Will Hardy has got those guys playing fantastic. They have some really young talent that have, it's playing way above their heads right now. And so I, I think it worked out for pretty much everyone. The only person it hasn't worked out for, I'm glad for Steve Clifford. Uh, I think that Hornets team is going to be better later once that they get a healthy. Darvin Ham is a guy who, like, I like Darvin Ham. Darvin Ham was one of my favorites of the, for the job. And uh, they're not hurt with injuries. They're just hurt with egos. They've just got so many egos piled onto that team and not just on the bench, but the people behind the bench and the people in the front office and the people that own the team that like Darvin Ham stepped into a wasp's nest willingly for a good amount of money. And um, even he's been able to convince Russell Westbrook to go to the bench. It's been semi-successful so far when everybody's been healthy. I feel bad for, for Darvin Ham a little bit, but if you're getting paid that much money, I don't feel that bad for you. So I think it's kind of worked out for pretty much all the coaches that, that, that were on that list at least. And uh, but Mike Brown was uh, so far, it, he's he's been showing out. He's he's been a great hire for the Kings. Yeah. The thing with Mike Brown that I didn't properly assess when he was made uh, when it was publicly made that he was a candidate was how much and this word gets thrown around so much that it almost means nothing, but how much he can control the culture only because we've heard so many coaches 
talk about culture and then providing none of it or, or just yeah. really having none of it resonate with the players. Mike Brown is the first guy I'm trying to think. I want to say since Adeline, maybe there was a couple in there that, that were able to create it, but Mike Brown has really like, it's weird. This is like Mike Brown's team. Like the, this team has the personality of Mike Brown. He's such a good spokesperson for this team, the way he talks about his players and then the way the players talk about him after the Warriors game, the other night, um, every single player talked about how important it was to get this win for Mike Brown. And I don't want to overstate that, like, oh, this hasn't happened since Adelman too much. But it, the, the the things that Mike Brown is 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 doing here from a culture and chemistry standpoint is just impressing me uh, probably more than like the basketball stuff. Just the I don't know. We've seen so many coaches fail to get the buy in. And again, it's 12 games. Who knows? We could be saying the opposite in a couple of months, but it seems like. The, the culture building aspect of a Mike Brown coaching staff is something I definitely underestimated. And it's been, um, I think like the biggest positive that he's brought to the team is just the, the level of professionalism and been there before and not worrying about mistakes, being confident that you can fix mistakes. The sky isn't falling. All of those things Mike Brown has brought in this, like, I don't know, this, this cloud of, of competence and just steadiness that I think the Kings haven't really had in a long time. You know, the, the, the one thing, too, I think it sometimes might be overlooked a little bit. I, I think with with Mike, you know, you Mike Brown, you got a guy who's was with the champion. Yeah. Uh, been with a lot of winners. Uh, you also by, you know, getting Kevin Herter and Sabonis, you got guys who are key players on a, a lot of, you know, 50 win teams. Yeah. So so, you, you know, if you want to change culture, the, the easiest and you know, the only way to change culture is win, by the way. But the way to do that is get winners. Yeah. You know, duh. And uh, and and I think that's that's a lot of credit to Monty McNair for that, to be honest yeah. with you. And uh, so so I, I just think that uh, you know, just looking at the roster and, and I've said I said something on you know, I do a podcast, the old fashioned three, a bunch of old farts we sit around and just shoot <laughs> yeah. crap on uh, on YouTube, me and Whitey Gleason and Phantom, but I said something and they, they were about ready to jump across the table and choke me. And I said, you know, if, if the Kings roster talent on their roster is better than the Warriors, the only reason, and there is a reason why the Warriors will end up with a better record. It's called Curry. And that's the only reason. And the officials. <laughs> Well, that there's certainly some, there's definitely some of that. There's some of that. I don't. Yeah, yeah, there is that. Yeah, there is that. So uh, certainly, certainly a couple, couple. Certainly the Warriors. Well, I mean the Kings have had a tough listen early on here. They really have. You know, I mean, I, I definitely would agree with that. That's you know the old two minute thing. Uh, I don't know who that helps. Uh, you know, like I say, I, I I have my own suggestion on that too. The two minute thing. Sure. This instead of talking, they should just say, "Okay, in the final two minutes, we've decided the referees really suck, and just let it go." <laughs> Jerry, to your point about about uh, bringing in winners, the Aaron Fox mentioned recently it was a game or two ago that he said that a lot of these players, he he just directly to your point, a lot of these players haven't been around for sixteen years of losing or even six years of losing. So he said that this winning, this, this uh, playoff less streak 
doesn't mean anything to them because they didn't really know about it. Don't they don't it doesn't really affect them because they've been to the playoffs pretty recently. And it's really him and I think I think it might just be him that's been around for a long time of like playoffless basketball. And so having that helped jumpstart a culture because they expect to win. And so um uh, Tony, to your point about about culture, I think this is the, the we we they, the Kings hired Luke Walton to be a player's coach. That was kind of his thing. Oh, he's a player's coach. He's a player's coach. And then you hear somebody like uh, Tyrese Halberton on a podcast, which he seems to do every week. He seems to go on a podcast every week and just spend 10 minutes talking shit about the Kings, or maybe it gets taken out of context. And there's, there's some, there's some tidbit that JJ Reddick gets to talk about for two weeks about how bad the Kings bid and how evil they, they treated Tyrese Halberton and trading him. But he mentioned that, you know, that there was no culture the last couple of seasons that Tyrese Halberton's few years in Sacramento, that there was no culture under Luke Walton, the guy who was supposed to be the players coach. And Tony, when you, when you mentioned like, Oh, this is the first team in a long time that kind of inhabits the, 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 uh, the, the character of their coach. I, I think the last time it was like, that was 2014, 2015, right before Mike Malone got fired. Like that was a team that was playing well. I, he got fired right around the 500 mark, like 25 games into the season. And the team was playing – now they weren't playing fast, but they were playing a, a, a type of basketball that it was kind of like, oh, this is sustainable. Uh, they're playing slow, but uh, but everybody's playing well. And then there's some spinal meningitis that gets sprinkled into the locker room and suddenly the Kings are are here now. But it's it's been – I think it's been eight years since the teams had an identity that you could kind of form to like – yeah, the coach is doing this. This the, the, you can tell that they love him. You can tell that they respect him. That's that's a that's a big difference between uh between now and 2014. That's that's the last time it happened in my mind. I do find one thing interesting, as you pointed out. I mean, with Tyrese, uh, certainly uh, feelings were hurt about being traded. Uh, you understand that and and all. But I always find it interesting, and I'm not that Sabonis was traded. Uh, from the franchise where he was a two-time all-star and played on a whole bunch of uh, several playoff teams and uh, <laughs> hadn't said one negative thing about the Indiana Pacers. So, hey. He's not friends with anyone with a podcast, Jerry. <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing. <laughs> that Yeah, that may come out. We'll see. I, I don't, I'd be, yeah, it, yeah. it won't, by the way. It just won't. No, no, no. But if Sabonis does want to come on a podcast and trash the Pacers, he's welcome on this yes. one. Any, any, you know, I'll, I'll extend that out to any Kings player, future, yeah. former, current. If you want to come on a podcast and trash any team in the NBA so we can get a soundbite, so we can get yeah. ears in the seats, you go on ahead. Me, Jerry, and Tony will accept any trash you want to talk about the NBA, the officials, jerseys, whatever you want. We're here to listen to you smack talk. Yeah, that's what it's all about now. Clicks and you know and all that that's exactly right that's exactly right so, jerry. So. that's why we have you on here jerry you provide sound bites uh, enough that we get that we get the the clicks well i may have to really get get down and dirty here pretty soon we need some more clicks <laughs> i actually i may do that in, at the end here by the way there's one thing I'm good <laughs> let's oh, nice. all right jerry no no more hype we're doing it right now we're going to you now jerry for the Reynolds wrap up okay here's my here's my Big complaint. Okay. I watch or read Hoops Hype every day, like probably you guys do. I go through the list and, look, you know, see what's happening around the league, all the different stories. And as you go through it, in, invariably, it's, it's you, they spend so much time talking about 
uh, this player will not will not play tonight. This player won't play tonight. Uh, calf strain. This player won't play tonight. Uh, sore knee. This guy's got a stubbed toe. Well, you know, they have a whole list of it. Well, see, I want to change it to make a list of the guys who are actually going to play. That might be a shorter list. Okay. You know, so fans have an idea. Okay, we're going to the game and these, this two, three guys are going to play. So we'll know when we plunk down our $200 for tickets, we're going to see these guys, not who we're not going to see. So how's that? So just very simply here, you know, I'm so sick of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, guys missing games for, I think, uh, you know, and I know that sounds old school. I don't want guys playing, playing when they're hurt. But, uh, boy, load management and stuff during the first week or so of the season. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Good Lord. Anyway, okay. You've already lost if you're, if you're, if you're resting your starters three games into you, the season. You, you, uh, something, something's out of whack. Something is out of whack <laughs> in competitive sports when that is the case. That's all I'd say. All I, I mean, I'd go back to the Jordans or LeBrons or whoever, the Jabars, those guys. If, if they could play, they played and they felt an obligation to play and they said so. And they said they're obligated to their fans to play if they could. Now, obviously, major injuries, they couldn't play. But uh, sore butt, a uh, little stiff back, no, they'd play. Okay, so, so that's it. I, you know, you can call me get off the lawn, Jerry, if you want to. But, but I back it off that. I think it's a good lane for hoops hype. We should let them know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jerry Reynolds starts trash with hoops hype. <laughs> We're trying to find a clickbait headline here. We'll get there eventually. Okay. Well, that, that's going to be it for our episode. Um, uh, Jerry, we are so happy to have you back. It, it was a, Amen. not that we didn't, not that we didn't enjoy Greg. We just, your, your face is on the cover of this damn thing for a reason. Well, he was terrific, by the way. Like I told you guys, I, I really enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, it kind of makes me feel bad sometimes when you guys make a lot more sense when I'm not there. <laughs> But, uh, but but still, yeah, I'm glad to be back. I mean, you know, hey, I, I, I just love this site, love this doing this podcast. And, you know, I sure hope maybe next year we could do it once a week by myself. But, uh, there you, you know, go. we might have something to talk about once a week next year, Jerry. That's that, that's the idea. Yeah. You know, and yeah. <laughs> certainly the torture that we went through from April to, to August or whatever was, uh, <laughs> you know, that, I think I'd. Just sometimes I think we all just rather have somebody jab us in the eye with a stick than to do this. But uh... <laughs> uh, if it gets too bad this season, if some if the wheels fall off the train, we'll just review movies or something like that. We'll just change to an entirely different podcast, oh, at least something nice. completely different. Okay. Yeah, well, I can. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm fairly expert on uh, the PGA, the Champions Tour, the LPGA, Ooh. golf. We can get into that. You know, so we, we go go a lot of different directions. Or maybe just get into studying the high school prospects, so we can worry about the lot, worry about the lottery in you know 2027 or something. And so, 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 so Will can, be, can, can set up the tank for 2027 to to, to get a 14 percent chance of get, of get somebody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's eighth graders right now, Jerry. That I'm scouting. I'm scouting real hard. Okay. Yep. As you should. <laughs>
<laughs> well, for everyone here at the King's Herald, I want to thank you guys for another show. Uh, we're going to roll on over to uh, to our Patreon uh, to our Patreon episode. So uh, if you're hearing this, roll over. We, we probably have a backlog of episodes you haven't heard, so so listen to one of those again just for fun. Uh, and uh, and uh, whenever you hear this, there will be a Patreon episode up sometime soon. And uh, thank you all so much for uh, for tuning in. We'll see you next time, two weeks from now, on uh, on the King's Herald Show. <laughs>